Many years ago, the German novelist Thomas Mann said this of history. He said, history is that which has happened in the past and goes on happening in the present. It is the layered sediment upon which we rest our feet. And the deeper and deeper we go down into the layers, the more we speak of it in the first person where those happenings become our experiences. And we will see that in this passage this morning, that Paul will give us a grappling, a wrestling with life and death, which surely affects us, church, here today with all that is going on. I have a friend who works in the ICU, and he shared with me just in the last couple weeks, he's had three cases of young men come in, so overdosed on drugs, maybe because of loneliness with COVID, don't know. So overdosed on drugs, no signal through their brain. Clinically brain dead. And the family's wrestling with that. But the heart's beating. They're warm, the blood is flowing, they have to be alive. They couldn't accept that they were dead. And there are so many in our culture who are spiritually dead. No spiritual life. They appear, in a sense, physically alive because of so many pseudo-saviors. Props that keep them going. Almost like the ventilator for that patient that makes them appear alive, yet they are clinically dead. Brothers and sisters, what is the hope? Is there hope for us? Yes. For those who are in Christ, this passage gives us the most glorious hope that we could have. Paul will give us another wonderful triad. We'll have three C's in this passage that you'll see as we read it. The first C is that we can have a confidence in our resurrection. Confidence in our resurrection that leads to eternal comfort, a second C. Confidence that leads to comfort so that we, final C, have conversations that encourage ourselves and others. If you would, stand with me as we hear this wonderful word, these words that encourage us, as Paul says. Hear now this this famous passage from 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. These words Paul gives us and God speaks. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. And at this point, if you have a Bible, say verse 14 with me, because this was a creed that was passed along that they would affirm together. If you have that, read with me. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And then Paul continues. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, 
with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Lord, I pray that these words would encourage us. We come needy. We come for a purpose. Would you feed us this day? In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. If you have a Bible, please follow along. Verse 13, we get the first C of the triad where Paul gives us confidence. Now, what does the confidence have to do with? You notice there he says, I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be ignorant. What's the question behind the question? What could they have been ignorant about? This has to do with that fancy word, eschatology. Eschaton, last, ology, study, study of the last things. They were concerned about the last things. And Paul himself had said at the end of chapter 3, I'm going to address what's lacking in your faith. I want to build up your faith, so I'm going to address what's lacking in it. So the last couple weeks... We've heard two of those things that were lacking in their faith that Paul has addressed. One was around sexual issues. Then there was one about brotherly love. And now we come to the third. That they were possibly grieving in the same manner as the world. Paul said, I don't want you to grieve in the same way. You see, the pagans at that time had little hope whatsoever in an afterlife. And then on top of that, if they had any of that kind of hope, they had basically nil hope in an afterlife where their body would be with them. Almost none. Pagan epitaphs said things like this. I was not, I was, I am not, I care not. Another one. Hopes are for the living. The dead are without hope. It's one thing Paul is saying in effect to them. It's one thing to have a theoretical belief in the resurrection, but when it comes down to it, when Christian in Pilgrim's Progress is getting ready to cross the river of death, when death is staring us in the faith, in the face, at that point to maintain the faith in the presence of death. Paul is saying, I want to give you hope for that. Pastorally, Paul's goal is not to just educate about millennial views. He is here to exhort, to encourage. And Paul says, he says this. There's basically two groups of people. Church, there's basically two groups of people in this passage. There are believers and there are unbelievers. Believers and unbelievers. The we and the they. Brothers and sisters, in this time, there are so many we's and they's that we are carving out within the church that are not we's and they's. There are hard issues going on. We wrestle with COVID. Mask, don't mask. How safe, how bold 
whatever, all these kinds of things. The scripture says not that much about safety per se, but it calls us to be bold. But it also says to be wise and not presumptuous. So we wrestle with that tension. And we wrestle with the tension in racial harmony. Some saying, you've said too much. Others saying, you haven't said nearly enough. Brothers and sisters, we realize, think about in a marriage, how many of you in your own marriages, in relationships, whatever, you see 100% exactly the same theologically? No, right? But we stay together, church. We're not going to see 100% on the same page all the same, at the same time. But we're the, we're the we. We're the church. Stay together in order that the they may become we because of the witness that we have to them. Those are the groups, the believers and the unbelievers. And Paul says, because of this resurrection... Because of this resurrection that you will have because Christ had one, there will be reunion and there is hope. He doesn't even say anything about Christ's resurrection. He doesn't need to. They knew it. He knew it. And in some sense, that's a proof of it. He didn't even need to say it. They all knew it happened. And he's focused on our resurrection. And he gives that simple creed there in verse 14, saying, this is the fact. You know it. Trust it. Believe it. It's kind of like the parents dropping off the child at school for that first day. Mommy, Daddy, are you going to come back at the end of the day? Yes, just as we let you off right here, we will be here to get you. Jesus said, just as I left, I'm coming back for you. And then Paul moves to the second C. Comfort. The confidence leads to comfort. In the word he uses there, he says, I have a word from the Lord. The word there in the Greek, agraphon, means without a word, meaning without a scriptural word. But this was an oral word of Jesus that had been passed along. And he says basically, emphatically in the Greek, emphatically, those who have died will not be second place to the living. They will, in effect, have some sort of advantage to have died when Christ returns. And then further for the comfort, he moves into these powerful three scenes. Scene one in verse 16, the Lord descends. No longer the babe in the manger, the Lord comes the awesome and fearful Lord. With three sounds. Three sounds that we could not Avoid to hear. I think of uh, pilot Todd Lesh would share that in the past he would often have the flight on Christmas morning to Orlando. And the plane would be full of families, especially the children, just so excited because that was their surprise. They were going to Disney World. And you could picture that morning parents coming into the child's room, maybe with a spoon on a pot. Boom, boom, boom. Wake up, surprise, we're going to Disney World. And then that excitement around that. Well, there are three sounds here. So much better even than that. The first is this. There will be the loud command 
of the Lord Christ himself. That command, that word is only once here in the New Testament, but outside of the Bible, that word meant it was a signal to subordinates, a military command, proceed, arise. Just as in John 5, it says, the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. The first sound, the loud command, the second, the voice of the archangel, the heavenly host is involved. And let your imagination go a bit. There are angels and there are archangels. Scripture talks of Michael and Gabriel. We know at least those two. There are other books that talked about seven archangels. Others, Remiel and Sarakel. Maybe, maybe not. But we do know there are angels and there are archangels. And they are for you. They are for you. And then the third one that we can't fail to hear. The trumpet call. Signaling movement of the king. When the emperor Claudius died, it was said that the trumpets around his funeral were so loud that even the dead could hear it. These trumpets will be so loud that not only will the dead hear it, they will respond to the command to rise. And then verse 16 gives us scene two. The Lord Christ appears and the dead in Christ rise. Paul doesn't know necessarily whether he'll be living, whether he'll be dead. Even Paul didn't know. And he kind of humbly puts himself in thinking he'll be part of the living. He didn't know. But the Christ appears. And then scene three, scene three for us. We all meet and come down together. We all meet and come down together. Now that word there, Harpazo means snatched, snatched up, not a violent snatching, but a caught up in the air. The word from which we get rapture. Oh, rapture. Okay. So we believe in the rapture, but in the right context. Okay. Now, what many think of is back in the 1830s, Plymouth Brethren kind of started up the, the, what later became dispensationalism, okay? Where there was such a focus on this secret rapture that would take place, okay? Now, here's where we say, brothers and sisters in Christ, yes, not heretics, don't call us heretics, we don't agree, but we don't, we don't agree with that, and here's part of the reason why. The comfort in this passage The comfort in this passage is not just escaping persecution. You get to go, your car will keep going, but you're gone, and the airplane might smash, and no more pilot and all that. Not that kind of comfort. The comfort is saying, you may go through suffering, but you will share equally in an eternal reward to the faithful. It's a privilege, not a horror, to go through suffering. And then this rapture is public. It's not secret. We hear those sounds. We see Christ coming on the clouds. Now the clouds, does that mean, oh yeah, okay, there's clouds today. He could come today. Tomorrow's clear. He can't come tomorrow. No, the clouds are much more significant than that. 
The cloud in the Old Testament was the Shekinah glory of God that would signify the Lord's presence. And we see that, say, at the Mount of Transfiguration. And Daniel said that the Son of Man will come in glory, will come on clouds. And then this point about us going to meet him. What's that about? The Greek word there, apentesis, means this. That when a, when a king would come to town, and Paul experienced this in Corinth as he wrote to the Thessalonians. There in Corinth, Nero came. And when the emperor would come, the dignitaries would go out to meet him. And then they would go back into the town together. Much the same. There the children wait and grandmom and granddaddy are coming. They come, they run out to see him. And then they come back in together. That is what will happen. We will go to meet the Lord in the air. Come down to the new heavens and new earth. After receiving or after the defeat of all the enemies of the Lord. So the third C. The confidence leads to comfort. Leads to conversations for us now. To encourage and be encouraged. Paul intended the believers. Encourage one another. Joy shared is magnified. Paradoxically, suffering shared can diminish the the suffering church that you're experiencing. The word he shares comforts too. So often the the sufferer on their own only sees suffering. It becomes their entire world. But the the presence of a fellow sufferer broadens the world. You are not alone. And then hand in hand with that comfort is the Christian's hope. To expand out to consider eternity. So the moment of loss pales with the eternal togetherness in the presence of the Lord. So there may be loss, that's reality, but it is temporary reality. Grief is real, grief is real, but not grief without hope. So the fact of death and suffering is transformed by the promise of life eternal. So Paul says, encourage with these words. Our final application. Brothers and sisters, we're waiting. We are waiting for the most important event to come. Jesus to come again. But we wait with a purpose. To encourage each other with these words that change lives. Some of us here in suburban America, we find our hope in a family. A job, even with all that's going on with COVID. Pets, 401k, retirement, good health, safe for now. All good things. But they're like the 15 mountains. You're looking at the Appalachians. And Paul is saying, look further. Everest. Look to Everest. Don't settle for these good things. There is a better hope. 
And so church, as we wait together, we need to avoid the danger what we call splintering. Believers, stay in the church dialogue so that we can encourage with these words, even at times when we don't see 100% eye to eye. Avoid the, well, you and I disagree. I'm just going to take my toys and go home and play home church. Calvin says, that ain't church. That ain't church. Calvin went so far to say, the one who will not have the church as his mother does not have God as his father. And the Middle Testament prophet Aragorn, Hunter, Middle Testament, can we call him a Middle Testament prophet? Aragorn said, there may come a day when the hearts of men grow cold. A day may come when the courage of men fails. When we forsake our friends and break all bonds of fellowship. But it is not this day. And he says that with the gates of Mordor. The gates of hell staring them in the face. In the same way, church, Christ said the gates of hell will not stand against his church. They cannot. So we are in a time, maybe, maybe this is a time of refining for the church, for Christ's church. Refining, it can burn a little bit. It can hurt a little bit. I need it. I need it. Maybe we need it. But in the end, we know Christ's church wins. We look forward to his coming. And we rejoice. And that is what gives us hope this day. Let us pray. Father, we Rejoice and look forward to so many good, simple things. A clean shirt after sweating like this. Little things, a cold glass of water. But then we amplify those things with others that become idols. Lord, help us not to elevate the created for the creator. We look, we trust We wait for the king to come and we encourage one another with these words. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.